Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And Drancer, they, they actually listened to us. The Vancouver Canucks listened to us. They knew we were doing another episode of the VanCast, and they needed to make sure we were taken care of with some good material. You, myself, Patrick Johnson, and Jeff Patterson have been grinding the Canucks PR staff to make sure that Jim Benning was made available. So much so that it became a running joke that we had a group chat on it, and Chris Brumwell responded today from the Canucks PR staff saying, if your group chat is listening, we will make Jim available. And boy, was he, my friend. Yeah, he was. And, you know, I, I was on the group chat, but I don't think I, I didn't send in a request. <laughs> Silly I you. Like, I know. I was just, like, hanging with the cool kids, pretending to also do it, but not actually doing it. But you know what, Farhan? Honestly, I didn't need to hear from Jim today. I didn't. I don't feel like I needed to. I feel like I have one burning question about this organization. Eight years into Jim Benning's tenure. Like, I know who Jim is. You know, I know what this team tried to accomplish this offseason. I know what the expectations were, right? There was nothing that Jim could tell me today. And then I was a little bit wrong because he actually did end up saying a couple of interesting things, which we will get into. But there was nothing that I thought I'd hear from Jim Benning today that I thought was relevant or interesting or would explain what has gone on here. The thing I want to know from this organization is a question that Jim can't answer. And that is, why, for eight years, has this level of play and this directionlessness that the franchise has exhibited consistently been tolerated? And Jim can't answer that question. I don't know the answer to that question. I don't think anyone in the media circles does. That is like the big black hole question. Sucking up all oxygen for me about this Canucks team. Like, why? Why has this been allowed to persist? Well, and th- that's the thing is that Jim came out basically as a representative of the Aquilini family. Patrick Johnson even asked, like, or it was either Patrick or Jeff, why Why won't the owner talk? Why won't the owner talk? Uh, that was a great question. You know, and, and he goes back and says, well, you know, I talk to him, I give him input and I give him advice. And then, you know, and then they want to talk to me and, and I'll kind of represent them as they talk. And, you know, you are right because your question, only one person can answer and it's one rung above Jim Benning. So you are right that Jim didn't offer us any insight. And I don't think any of us expected insight, but there is still a level of accountability that needs to be had. Um, I certainly ask questions around that. I want to ask questions around the level of concern. I just want guys to kind of, for me, it's always about admit it, admit it, own it. That's kind of how I approach this <laughs> that, stuff, right? That's so, that's so old timey newsman of you. I, I feel know, like right? you need like, you need to wear like, you know, you need like a wicker hat and like a, like a corn pipe, like uh, own it. <laughs> you know what? It's the coach in me, right? Because all I preached for players was accountability, right? Right. And I just, I have that here. And also, I mean, we do need to ask him directly about the future of Travis Green. Um, and, you know, and, and 
I felt the need to ask him, how responsible do you feel in all of this, right? Because clearly yeah. both of us believe that roster construction is at the core of this problem, right? So for Jim Benning to come out and let's, well, there's so much to digest. And again, not insight, but context. Uh, there's, there's so much to digest because I asked, or he was asked about the penalty kill and, you know, everything for weeks is circled back to the penalty kill because yeah, they have played better five on five, but they haven't played at such an elite level that they can overcome a horrendous, historically bad penalty kill. So sure enough, we knew it was going to come back to Brandon Sutter. Now is Brandon Sutter an effective face-off man? Yes. Is he a, uh, is he a good, uh, fourth line center? Like he's now cashed in the right role at the right salary. Right. He's, he's got a skill set where he's been an effective penalty killer and he's got, uh, you know, and he's a right handed guy that can win faceoffs. Now, you can't tell me your season hangs on Brandon Sutter. And that's what it much came less Mott to. and Highmore. <laughs> yeah. Mott, oh, yeah. And, and Highmore's hurt and Mott missed time. And we expected this from Jason Dickinson. Well, how about your blue line, which is probably the bigger problem? Like it's faceoffs in the blue line. It's not faceoffs in the guys in the wings. It's faceoffs in your blue line. So you're now hanging this on that. You're hanging it on an oft injured player, number one, because Brandon Sutter's always been hurt. Brandon Sutter also has had long COVID and surely to God, a month before training camp, you knew this was happening. Like, please don't tell me that on day one of training camp, when COVID happened to this team back in March, right? Like, please don't tell me that it didn't dawn on you that we could be dealing with long COVID in mid-September. And at that point, you're compelled to react. You needed to react a little before that, did you not? But certainly, you know, it, it came full circle yep. that this franchise is hanging by such a thread. This roster is hanging by such a thread. I mean, boy, they just played Colorado that was without Nathan McKinnon. And you can't function without Brandon Sutter? Please. I know. No, I well, and there were opportunities throughout camp if you really wanted to replace you know, a guy, like there were opportunities to do so. You know, like I think about a guy like Dylan Gambrell. Dylan Gambrell is not a great player, right? Like there are holes in his game because he's sort of a defensive center that doesn't really win enough draws yet. And he's kind of more of a skilled finesse defensive center than a physical one. So teams don't love that, right? Don't. That's why he, you know, <laughs> that's why he was on waivers, right? That's why he was cut by San Jose. But he's a young guy. He's a right-handed centerman. He hit waivers. Like, he hit waivers. Um, you know, I look at or think about a guy like this season, a guy like Sam Carrick. You know, Sam Carrick's a right-handed draw. He hit waivers. You, you know, Sam Carrick has four goals for the Ducks. He's a mainstay on their fourth line. They played him a lot against Pedersen last Sunday. There were options, and they were available for free, Farhan. Free. Well, and that, that's my point is when you think about those options, also also think about the timing, right? Like, again, this team is ridiculously healthy given what's happening around them. It's unbelievable how healthy they are. We are going to get a point where Brock Besser is out of the lineup for a period of time or JT Miller is out of the lineup for a period of time or OEL is out of the lineup for a period of time. Probably won't affect them much if Pedersen's out of the lineup for a period of time because I'm not sure he's in the lineup now. But there's going to be players that are actually injured that are contributing wow. to this team. And wow, like it's it's ridiculous that they are hanging by a thread to that degree, right? Like this is the challenge. You're like, if you know that he's still exhibiting COVID symptoms in July and August. Well, right? it's I a thought, and I think it was, I think it took a little bit of time, right? Like it was 
Certainly not when he signed. It came kind of later. But that's a team-friendly, variable contract. Like it, wow. you know. It's, here's, it's a con- here's what's even worse about it, Farhan. It's priced to be easily replaceable. Yeah. Like it literally is on the dot the amount that you can bury in the American League, and that's not so that you could bury it in the American League. It's so that literally anybody could come up for the cap hit that he represents. Like, say they hadn't made the Arizona Coyotes deal, and you had Louis Erickson's six million in the American League. What would the cap hold of that be? 1.125, meaning if Sutter was to hit LTI at any point, standard replacement, $6 million player up, done. Done. You'd have the LTI space to call up literally any cap figure amount. Like, they built Brandon Sutter's not that durable insurance into his deal and still didn't have a redundancy plan? That's what's hard to square. Yeah, that's my point, right, is that you knew. And you put yourself in a position to fix, and yet you didn't fix. So now they're going to continue to try to fix. Uh, They're talking about potentially calling somebody up. I mean, who's the logical call-up that could even remotely help them in this situation as far as face-offs and penalty killing? Uh, Face-offs? I mean, there's nobody. Maybe John Stevens? Like, John Stevens is the closest approximation, but I don't think he's an NHL player. Not not in more than spot duty. Uh, You know, Philip DiGiuseppe, if you wanted some help. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's not a ton of options. No question there's not a ton of options. So so now, as we continue to, to parse what was said, Jim Benning does claim to feel responsible. Um, were you surprised to hear that? Or I guess the question was asked directly enough that he probably didn't have a choice but to say it. But are you surprised that he's taken a level of ownership here? Because I also followed up by, is eight years enough? And he said, yes, it is. Yeah. No, I, I mean, look, he had to take responsibility, and he did. But, you know, he also suggested that the strategy on the PK is part of the problem, right? There were some indirect questions that he clearly has that were posed in a way that seemed pointed toward the coaching staff, right? Even though like he wouldn't, he wouldn't defend Travis green in terms of saying he's done a good job, right? He's, you know, we are all working on this together, right? There, there wasn't much in the way of support, offered to his embattled head coach, I I would say. And then the other thing that, you know, again, I I sort of threaded the needle by pulling all the various things he'd said, but, you know, I I thought there was a fair bit of blame too placed on their top players, you know, in in his answers, right? And there should be. I don't think he's wrong by any means. The analysis is right. But the, you know, the the fact is, is that I, I thought without coming out and saying it, you know, and without having it explicitly challenged those players, the suggestion was made that, you know, the club has turned things over to their young core uh, and that their young core, you know, was so good in the bubble and convinced them to do that. And they haven't really delivered. They haven't met their potential. And that, that latter part was made explicitly clear. And they're working with the coaching staff and management to figure it out. But, you know, no no sort of responsibility was taken for creating the environment where this has happened or for losing some of the key veteran players that insulated them, right? I mean, when, when talking about his sort of bona fides, right, like they've worked so hard to draft and develop players properly, right? But no accountability was taken in terms of what's happened with, you know, losing key leaders, losing guys like Tanev and Edler and you know, Markstrom and Toffoli and and the way that the, you know, responsibility for leadership has shifted to younger players. And are they 
ready to take that responsibility on at 23, 22, 25. And, you know, to this point, I'd say the early returns are not promising on that front, right? I don't think no, the no, early no. returns are, you know, instilling a ton of confidence in that, in that decision. I mean, and, and you know what? Fair enough. I, I mean, again, the best, what the best team in the league right now, basically, is, is a bunch of guys who, when I worked with them when they were 23, they weren't ready to do that for an NHL team either. And now they're all 26 and they're absolute unquestioned leaders of the best team in hockey. I'm, of course, talking about Barkov and Ekblad and company, right? So, you know, that does happen. Did it, Does this team have the right mix? Do they have the right construction? Looks like the answer is no to us watching the games. Every Canucks fan watching these games will tell you the same. And yet, you know, Jim took accountability for where they're at because he's in charge. I'm the leader of this team. But I also thought there was a fair bit of indirect, you know, blame shifting to both the star players of this club and the head coach uh, without sort of taking accountability for the fact that, I mean, presumably Benning had a role in, in Green getting extended. Um, and certainly Green had a role in, you know, molding the environment that these young players are playing and struggling in right now. I followed up with Travis when he came out and spoke and said to him basically the same thing, that are they mature enough for what's being given to them? Because we know they can play when they're on their game. We know they can play, but are they mature enough yet? And he didn't say no, but he certainly implied that maybe not and that they will be better for this later, right? That there will come a time where they will learn from this and they'll be in a better position for it. And, you know, it, look, we have been critical over the years for the signings that, that Jim has made. Now, the players, the types of players he's brought in and the thought process behind bringing them in to insulate and to lead and to set culture was not flawed. What was flawed was the amount of salary and term he paid for that, right? Because you should be able to do that and not have it cost you the amount that it did, you know, and now they're completely lacking that because he shipped a bunch of it out uh, this year. And I mean, I think we all made the case that Tanev's best days may have been behind him and none of us was against the thought of Vancouver not signing him at four by four, but Clearly, of all the players, that was probably the one mulligan. You know, you can't go back and fix that. But what do you do now that you've got this, you know, whether it's a leadership void, whether it's an accountability void, whatever it is, but a lot more is being placed on those young players besides just producing on the ice. And they're clearly not ready. They are pretty clearly not ready. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's been, yeah, I, I don't think there's... There's not much debate about that, is there? No, but the, the the debate isn't that they're not ready. The debate is how they've let it affect their performance. Because, you know, if you're Pedersen, the last time we asked him about the pressure, he came and said, well, you know, I, I don't necessarily know what's being read or said, which is fiction because he's a social media guy. So he's, he's pr pretty clearly involved. But forget that. You can't be Elias Pedersen and see what's happening to this team and know that you're not significantly responsible. Right. And, and I say that because there's a lot of problems, penalty killing and so on. But the reality is, is he's got a score and he's not. And if you're Brock Besser and you see what's happening in terms of the win loss column and you compare that to your point production, it's impossible for you to not look at it yourself and know I need to do more. Uh, regardless of whether or not Thomas Strance, Farhan Lalji, Jeff Patterson, Patrick Johnson are asking you those questions, you know, you know. To the point where the coach and the GM are telling us, yes, our best players need to be better. Talking about their confidence being an issue. Talking about the team. Jim Benning used the word fragile, not me. He used the word fragile today. Yeah, right? So 
So the guys in the room know what's real. You can't blame the media. If the fans want to blame that entity known as the media, come on, they know. So, yeah, you know, that is putting pressure on them. How much weight are they feeling right now that even the organization can't deny that they are and should be feeling the weight? Well, I thought when Quinn Hughes was asked the question, and Quinn Hughes is so chill, right? Like Quinn Hughes does media availabilities like like he doesn't have a pulse, right? Like, like his resting heart rate is like 40, you know, he, uh, he's ice cold in terms of his energy level in that environment. And Ian McIntyre asked him post game on Wednesday about whether or not the players feel responsibility for the struggles of, or not the struggles, the pressure that Jim Benning and Travis Green are under. And there, I thought there was a really telling moment and you can go watch the video, but he seemed It seemed to stress him out. Like, he ran his hands through his hair and answered, like, I take it personally. And I I believed it. Like, I believed that answer. I thought that was authentic. And especially because of the rapid change to his body language. Um, So, yeah, I do think they're feeling it. And, And, of course, they are. It's a tough market to lose in. It might be the toughest market to lose in. And so, you know, for sure, they're feeling the heat. They're probably feeling more heat after they were, you know, essentially said to be the crucial reason why this team is struggling. I think they are the crucial reason why this team is struggling, by the way, except for the fact that the penalty kill is a historic disaster. And and it should be noted, like, I don't know. I don't know if everyone else saw this yesterday and maybe they missed it because the avalanche were so bad for 50 minutes and still easily won the game. But if you watch how the avalanche move the puck as a blue line, right? And they're not, uh, I mean, they don't have Bowen Byram. They have some great players. Devon Devon Taves, excuse me, is tremendous. Obviously, Kel McCarr, we know what he can do. But like, you know, I don't think Jack or Eric Johnson are outrageously good. (laughs) Jack Johnson certainly isn't. Um, But the way that they, as a unit, skate and move the puck, like it looks like they're playing a different sport than the Canucks. Honestly, Farhan. It does. Like, they're so much more dynamic in terms of how they control the game five on five. And, you know, they're just one of 10 teams that look like that when they play Vancouver. Um, you know, for me, for me, if you're looking for reasons why this Canucks team has struggled, like, number one is they just don't have enough blue liners with two-way intelligence. And, and I think more than anything, as I consider what was said, as I consider the accountability routine, as I consider Jim Benning's comments, what I can't get past is the idea that this is a surprise to the organization. The idea that this wasn't within the realm of possibility, that maybe this team wasn't that good. Like, it's like that was never considered as a, as, as a tail risk to what the club put together. You know, like the, like the idea that this team wouldn't be far, far better, like seven, eight points better than they are, you know, which was well within the realm of like if you're an 85 point true talent team and you play at a 60 point pace over 15 games, 17 games, like that's there's a pretty high probability of that. You know, it's not it's not a 20% chance, it's like a 30% chance, 33% chance. You can't say a 33% chance outcome is unforeseeable. Is a huge surprise. And the fact that this organization appears to be so stunned by their form, by the quality of this roster they put together, makes it impossible to conclude 
that they're the same people who should be put in charge of fixing it, right? Like that's, that's the part that I just can't get over is the, you know, genuine expressions of shock from the club. It just doesn't match reality. It does not match reality, particularly considering that Vegas never picked them to make the playoffs, has favored them in only six of 17 games. And the fact that every single, not, not like this, not most, every single analytics model built with objective criteria to project team quality considered the Canucks to be a sub playoff caliber team. How is this a shock? How? <laughs> well, we'll dive into that in a minute, along with that and the future of Travis Green and what we could glean from that. So the shock, you know, we, we knew, or sorry, you knew. I mean, I, we, we all had different thoughts on how this was going to work and all the analytics models you had mentioned. I mean, all the credible ones certainly had the Canucks missing the playoffs. There were certainly some of the, some of us who felt that they could have improved enough in selected areas where they could have snuck in. Not that this was necessarily a lock playoff team, let alone a contender. But if you're Jim Benning, who, you know, he's an old school hockey guy. I mean, he's the guy that made the decision on Tucker Pullman. If he made the decision to term Tucker Pullman for four years, he didn't necessarily do it thinking he was the player the analytics models suggested that he was. He certainly didn't do it thinking Oliver Ekman Larson was the player the analytic models suggested that he was. So he's hit marginally to a point on Ekman Larson. Uh, he's hit very well on Connor Garland. Um, you know, he he didn't listen on some of the, the projections on the back end. Connor Garland, though, what's that? Don't like Connor Garland is is a underlying numbers darling and a rate stats darling. Sure, and every model loves Connor Garland. Um, but yeah, you're right. You're right. All that said is that if you're Jim Benning, you're, you come into this thinking, I improved there, 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 and there. I rebuilt my defense. I brought in Pullman. I brought in Ekman Larson. I got rid of a couple of older guys. I, I upgraded my top nine. I brought in Dickinson. I brought in Garland. We got Pod Colson ready. Like, if you're him, you walked into the season like Connor McGregor. <laughs> the McGregor strut, but no one, no one looked at this blue line and thought it was sufficiently Jim Benning rebuilt, did. did they? Jim Benning did. Oh, and goodness. you've had conversations with Travis Green. He even thought they were better in some areas than suggested. Oh, right? Like they, they went into this thinking they were better. You can't deny that, that, you know, think about Travis Hamanick and he started slow because he missed the previous year. Now he's going to hit the ground running once we get the vaccination thing figured out because he had told I was okay he was with the Hamanick bet. I was sure. okay with the Hamanick bet. But, but the collective bet of all of it, right? Like three significant players, you know, you bring back Hamanick, that's fine. You add Oliver Eggman Larson, you add Pullman, but they chose to make it. Oh. They chose to make it. Oh, you know, and, and you know, is, is Rathbone ready and so on and so forth. Like they have made these choices thinking they were the right choices. Of course, they're stunned. Of course, they're stunned, Drancer. Come on. Uh, I, that's unacceptable. They thought they were going to be able to score at a much higher clip. Well, that means they can't evaluate their own team. And if you can't evaluate your own team, good luck evaluating any other. If you can't evaluate your own team... You've lost before you've even started for him. You've lost. Like, you cannot succeed if you can't do the easiest part, which is evaluating the players you know best, the ones you employ and interact with every day. Like, how are you ever going to have a sense of, 
uh, pro scouting if you can't evaluate your own players. Yeah, but in the case of a Tucker Pullman, they evaluated somebody else's player and they got it wrong. Yeah, how, right? But do? the point is, to circle back to your earlier point, the, pl- the people that are responsible for assembling based on that inability to evaluate shouldn't be the people that try to fix the problem. No, no, cannot be. So now the other big takeaway was Benning asking, being asked directly about the future of Travis Green and is Travis safe? And he didn't answer the question. He said all things are on the table. And then he went on to reiterate his support of Travis and how they're trying to work with the coaching staff to try to help find solutions to get out of this. And they're talking to general managers and they're talking to agents, getting a sense of what the needs are and trying to fix them. Um, So it wasn't a vote of confidence. It was a general uh, message of support. But how do you parse that? Well, that's wise. Because if he'd given him a vote of confidence, we wouldn't have believed it. Fair. You know, like we would have been like, oh, yeah, the old vote of confidence. Oh, boy. we (laughs) Travis is getting fired in the morning. You know, like we wouldn't have believed it. So I, I actually thought... You know what? I thought he handled that right. And I want to just say yeah. generally, I thought in general, he performed well for a setting that he typically doesn't, you know, isn't the master of. Like I thought, I thought it was, a, I thought it was as good a performance as you could have hoped for from Benning. It just like, this is an annual event now, right? This is an annual event. The Jim Benning's midseason crisis press conference. <laughs> we, we do it every year. We do it every year. Why? Why are we even doing this? And, you know, oh, what I think, are we doing here? I know. And I think what annoyed me so much about it this time is that it's just, it's just, it feels like the wrong person's answering the questions, right? Like what we so need what to So what do we have to do to get the owner to answer a question other than on the team well, rights holder? Well, let's, let's do the, uh, let's do the, let's group chat activate. You there text you JPAD, I'll text PJ. Let's, <laughs> let's go. But the, but the you know, fundamental thing about it, right, is we do this every year, nothing changes. The organization seems to have a boundless appetite for this leadership group. Is this as simple, is this as simple, Drancer, as them being given more control than they have under previous regimes? Like, I'm just trying to understand how, you know, Mike Gillis gets you to a Stanley Cup final game seven. And this is not me like pumping Mike's tires, but the bottom line is like, do the math here. In 2011, he got him to the final and in 2014, he was fired. Right. Like, look at that window of patience and compare it to this. You know, it was the first time the club had missed the playoffs in in eight years and he was gone. But why that and not like, explain to me the difference. Why, why is it just about ownership being able to have control? Is that what this is about? Is it about no, not I wanting mean, to start yet again and have to strip it down and have four more years of pain? Like, why is this level of patience being afforded? It's, well, no, that I don't understand. I don't understand why the same patience is being afforded now. But do I understand why ownership was became exasperated with Mike Gillis? Sure. That makes sense to yeah, me. Yeah, but like, I'm just right? putting it into context with that. And no, what needs to and now happen for a Travis Green move to happen? What's the, what's the magic number? I mean, I was for a Travis Green move to happen. Yeah, because that ultimately, look, this, whether, we, whether you or I think this is on players, management, or the GM, regardless of what you and I think, I think we're smart enough to know the first change that's going to happen is Travis Green's going to get fired. I'm not telling you who he is, but if there's a significant move, it's not going to be Jim. It's going to be Travis because Why? Jim's going to get to make the decision. Why? That's how I see it. 
but why? What what today? What today convinced you? Like what today? Because that was another takeaway that I had from today was, you know, Jim talked about a trade, but talked about it collectively, right? Seeing what options are available. Everything's on the table. Um, talked about the head coach. Everything's on the table, but didn't really commit one way or the other. Um, he didn't seem to me to be a general manager with a ton of autonomy or wiggle room here. No, but that would be the next card that gets played. If if Jim's entitled to play it. So you think there's a chance that the ownership group would, in this situation, have more patience with Travis Green than they would with Jim Benning? You think that would you think that's a surprise? Yeah, I would be surprised. I mean, the only reason would be the salary, right? Like the term, he's got one extra year on that's his a, deal. That's a big reason. Beyond what Green beyond what Jim has. I think I think ownership has already made a decision, right? Like I don't know this, but I'm just looking at the shape of this thing and using my best sort of educated guess. This is some educated guesswork, which I, I often feel comfortable doing on the Vancast and only on the Vancast, right? If there was going to be a change, like other organizations just make changes, you know, they just, they're just like, oh, we're going to make a change. Like, oh no, this isn't working. Let's, let's change direction. Right. If there was going to be a change, if there was appetite for change from the, from ownership, I think it would have happened. I don't think it would have been discussed and, and, and a press and it would have leaked. And then they would have, you know, made sure that the general manager got, uh, was available so that they took some heat off ownership, like everything the organization has done. And yeah, it feels like they haven't made any decisions, but to me, it looks like they have like passivity is a decision. And I think the club would prefer for things to stabilize enough that they can get through this season with their current leadership group and then figure it out. And that's sort of where I think we're at. Like, I think, I think for option A is that things improve enough on ice results wise that the club can leg through this season, limp through this season with what they have at both coach and gym and GM. And, you know, I think if it goes sideways further, if it devolves further, which, you know, seems more likely to me than not, to be totally honest with you, like, you know, then, then I don't know. I don't know that green goes before Jim. And I, I'd add one more thing to you, Farhan. One more thing. And I'm curious to get your take on this as a coach. With the way the young core is struggling, right? I'd be concerned if I were ownership, if I was running the team, if I was advising the Canucks, right? I'd be a little bit concerned, like lower lowercase c concerned that, you know, if this young group has tuned out the head coach and that's partly why they're struggling. Do they learn the wrong lesson about their power within my organization? Should I, should I fire the coach? Oh, absolutely. Do they, do they ever become the players that I need them to be to succeed long-term if that's what's going on and I, and I concede to it? That's that's a big that's a big pool you want me to jump into that I generally I know, like I know. swimming and you don't in. Have no, no, to. it's, it's awesome. To, but, but listen, no, no, I I do want to. We're just going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dive into that along with the reaction of the crowd, and we might even talk a little hockey. We'll see. <laughs> so for me personally, I 
I think he absolutely learned the wrong lesson. You know, and, and even a Connor McDavid has been through more than one head coach. I don't think the narrative was ever that he replaced the coach, right? That, that that was because of him. But certainly the effect that the coach has on, you know, on the top players, it does get factored in. It's a big part of the equation. Now, the difference with, with Connor McDavid was Connor McDavid was always producing at a ridiculously high level, right? I mean, maybe it wasn't there for him in the playoffs, but from a point perspective, he was producing. These young players aren't necessarily producing. So now you're rolling the dice that a new voice is going to get a little more out of them. And what kind of voice do you need? Because in my opinion, what these guys need is some massive shock value. Like, you know, Torts, Babs, Hitch, uh, you know, like they need that level of shock value to, to get these guys to get their heads out of the clouds and get them figured out on what's important and not wait for somebody else to give you a reset button. I think it's absolutely the wrong message because these guys haven't proven a damn thing. When you, you know, if, if you feel you've got players that are playing at an elite level and you are wasting them, we're having a different conversation. These guys are not playing at an elite level. If I'm Jim Benning right now, I'm thanking the heavens I only signed Pedersen to a three-year deal. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I I still think you should have gone long there, but certainly well, based like, on the early returns. Yeah, so um, and look, he, he can figure it out. What's it going to take to figure it out? Because, again, it's whether you like the coach or not, whether you think the media is unfair or the market's hard or not, the reality is right now, those young players can look around the locker room and they see players they're letting down. Bottom line, and they know it. And if they don't know it, now we got a real problem. Now you got a, a group of players that's completely pie in the sky, head in the clouds, has no clue. And those aren't the guys you want to build around, if that in fact is what's happening. If it's as simple as repressing, we'll get it fixed. Different story. I just, I, just, I, I don't think you want to give, in my view, if you have any any sense, any sense that this is, you know, related to something beyond individual performance and, and you know, individual confidence issues and, um, you know, rust and, and all those other totally understandable factors, which might be underpinning the struggles of Vancouver's best young players. If you have any whiff that it might be something different than that, I think you have to make sure that you hold firm. Um, you know, I just think overall, like the way, the way that, I would go about it personally, you know, like I, I see zero chance that this organization and this ownership group is going to replace Travis with a big name coach. Like, I think that is absolute fantasy land, absolute fantasy land. I just don't think they're going to spend that money. And I don't think they're, they can't possibly look at this team and be convinced that a change in direction holds enough promise in terms of like replacing a head coach and, and catching fire, like, come on. No one thinks that this team has that in them. So I don't think that's where this goes. I don't think that's where this goes. And and as for, and so, and so you know, I, I don't, I honestly don't know what's next for this organization, but it, w- it would not stun me if the change, when it does occur, occurs above Travis Green's pay, pay grade, to be totally honest with you. Although I also do think that replacing the coach and just hiring Brad Shaw is the path of least resistance. And based on everything we've seen from the organization this week, I do think the path of least resistance is probably their their preferred route, uh, at least in the short term, at least over the course of the next two, three weeks. Yeah, for me, like I said, I, I think you're right that you you're these players will not be better served by giving in in this moment 
to a reset button with a new coach. I, I totally agree with that. Um, and yeah, like I, I don't think for a second they're going to go bring out that big name guy. Um, but like if you have another, th- you know, depending on what you view a dispiriting loss, because last night you could make the claim that again, once again, five on five, we were better and the power play or the penalty kill was terrible. And if, if you can, as an owner, be narrow enough in your focus to separate, you know, eight minutes of the game from the other 52 and feel good about it. And that continues for the next three weeks. Okay, maybe you survive. But if all of a sudden you get a a revisiting of that road trip at home where you get three one-sided losses, then I think at that point there could be enough venom. And and that's my next question to you because you wrote about it. But what would you make of the crowd and the fact that it was closed kind of muted it a little bit? It could get ugly here quickly. Yeah, I didn't think it was all that muted, to be honest with you. I thought the I thought the crowd was subdued. At the outset, tickets were widely available, right? Widely available in the lead up to the game. Ultimately, it looked like a fair few moved box office wise, like box office walk up, as they call it in industry jargon, looked like it was decently strong. Uh, although that may have suggested a fair bit of comps in the market, something I haven't asked the Canucks about, which I want. So I want to be clear that that's me surmising rather than fact. And you know, the game itself was close and the Canucks were the better team. You know, it's hard to boo a team that's down one goal, but controlling play and pressing hard and working, which the Canucks did on Wednesday. And so I think that impacted the crowd's reaction. You know, if that had been a three, nothing game, if, if the avalanche had been up two earlier in the night, I think the atmosphere had a chance to, you know, take a different type of turn. Uh, I thought considering the way that the Canucks performed, that it got ugly anyway, you know, like that to me was a very bad sign in terms of how discontent this market is, how dissatisfied this market, how fed up, worn out this market is with this team's performance over years and years and years. And, you know, I mean, this team has 33 home games left. It's a lot of games, man. That's a lot of games to leg through with fans at any point sort of threatening to boo or jeer or chant or bring signs or wear jerseys. Uh, Finn is the best at winning. Finn is uh, the so best good. at winning. I love that. that. <laughs> I, I know. It's incredible. <laughs> Finn is the best at winning. <laughs> oh, wait, is, it, is that what it is? Finn is the best well, no, at There winning? was something in there to, to get the R and E in fire. I felt like the, yeah, it must yeah, be, it was, it it must so be better. Finn is better at winning or something. Yeah, it was so good. Um, but but so nonetheless, good. here's an here's some advice to fans. If you want to boo, don't do it during the breaks and play. Because as soon as that happens, they're going to pump in some different game game ops stuff. If you want to boo, you got to do it in game during play. That's how this well, works. Well, now you're inciting. Now you're inciting, Farhan. You no classic, classic negative Vancouver media. No. <laughs> a um, ringleader. Hey, but I, I know that a lot of signage got taken away, right? And things like that, right? Some they, of it, yeah. Yeah, they don't like that, which is unfortunate. Well, I think fans much, should have the how right much to banging protest. of the drum. You know the Go Canucks Go drum? I was banging like at all moments of the game. <laughs> It was. Right, like, hey, yeah, make sure to chant Go Canucks Go, right? Like, <laughs> but you know what? You do that. Like, I've been on the other side of that. Um, you know, you do what you can to protect your people. That's what a team does. And that's what the organization should do. Um, you know, I saw a video going around of a usher confiscating a sign, and I made sure to omit it 
from my column this morning because like that guy's just doing his job. It looked like he was doing his job politely and well too, right? In a tough situation. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to throw that usher under the bus. He did, he did a good job. He doesn't deserve to be spotlighted for it. So, you know, if you want to express your dissatisfaction toward the team, you know, I'm not going to tell you not to, but, but what I would ask is, is remember that, you know, anyone who's just trying to maintain the safety and enjoyable atmosphere at the game for everybody, um, you know, like be a, be a little bit respectful. They're just doing their job. That, that is one thing I would call on fans to remember, especially should they go to a game with the intent of, you know, uh, protesting more than enjoying a night out. I also love that one sign, the I love hockey sign. That was like such a, you know, a beautiful and naive reminder for me of like mm. all the different reasons that people come to games. The fact that like your vast, the vast majority of fans attending on Wednesday were just happy to be at a hockey game just for the experience and don't follow this day to day like we do. Right. Aren't like, how exactly is the team built? And oh, they're falling short and cap a reallocation. You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> like it's just, it was just this moment where I realized how silly my existence was, you know, like, like, I love hockey. We love hockey. <laughs> what a beautiful sign that was. I love pl- everything. It was a plant. It. it was a plant. No chance. No, I know. No chance. No How one would ever play that sign because it's not believable. How about that oh, jersey? The jersey was great. Chester Ming with the uh, with with the litany of name bars. That's expensive. Um, like that's commitment for a fan to come in and do that. Oh, totally. Well, and if you go like peruse his hockey feed, he's got like Alexander McGilney All Star Game Canucks jerseys and stuff. It's cool. Um, but he says he he told. Past Bullis, he told Daniel Wagner that he's got uh, something even bigger planned, jersey wise. Um, you know, I'm 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 waiting to see like a Met Gala quality, <laughs> like mistakes skirt or something. Um, Going to be an interesting environment for the rest of this trip, and the Canucks are, you know, fortunate. I think that they're facing a couple of teams, winnable games, second leg of back to back. I, I want to talk a little bit about some of the other stuff. Before we do, though, just okay. on the on the subject of fans, the fact that Jim Benning did admit, yeah, this really upsets him, like hearing it. Were you surprised? Like, I figured he'd say, you know, I, I appreciate the fans being upset. I get it. But for him to, you know, oh, yeah, like this is wearing on me. I thought that was honest. Yeah, it's having an impact. Yeah, I, I just I just thought that was honest. Um, I commend that. You know, I, look, we we certainly don't have time for the fake, you know, macho thing that NHL people so often do, right? Like, I have no feelings. You know, Jim Benning's a human being. He's worked hard. And no one questions, no one questions the work ethic, right? Like, Jim Benning spends a lot of time on the road. Uh, He spends a lot of time in rinks. He sees a lot of games every year. Um, You know, no one doubts the work. So, you know, yeah, I'm upset. Good for him. Good for him. I commend him for that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say grow thick skin. That that's the least helpful possible response to that. Jim Bing's a human being. I, I you know I'd be upset in his shoes. I respect that he's upset. He should be. And uh, and you know I hope everyone does. I think I think that's a. I think I thought that was an honest answer and a strong, genuine, authentic moment from the Canucks GM. Two more games in this homestand, including a Canucks team. Uh, or sorry, Winnipeg Jets team that's almost as bad as the Canucks from a penalty kill standpoint. Not almost as bad, but not good. And Chicago um, on Sunday in an early start, just uh, how important are these two in the light of all of this context? <laughs> Freddy Krueger is not almost as bad as the Canucks PK. 
But yeah, true. <laughs> true. Like, like Darth Vader, not as bad as the Canucks PK. <laughs> you know? Like, um, yeah, I mean, the, the Jets, you know, one other thing, it's not just the PK, it's fast forwards. Any group of forwards with speed, right? Even if it's Buffalo, this Canucks team looks a little bit, you know, on their heels. Winnipeg's got a lot of speed. So I think that's the tougher matchup of the two. Chicago, not quite as much speed up front. I think that's a better matchup for Vancouver, even though Chicago's now 4-0 since they fired Jeremy Collin. Wow. Look at the impact of coaching change. And everyone owes Seth Jones an apology. <laughs> team's, a tri- team's a disaster. Team's, the- team's awful. Um, that's a much better matchup for Vancouver. Here's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting another Tucker Pullman game. Because he's facing his old team and he kind of performed the other night just for you. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. I, I, I mean, <laughs> sure. Uh, look, it, he's working hard. I got no problems with the individual. I just thought the bet was a bad one. And I think that's um, borne itself out. What do you take from the... Uh, the Hamannick explanation, because it got confusing at the start, but then if, if you haven't heard, he, a couple of days ago, did get his second vaccination, but when, when Benning came out today, he made it sound like he had just talked to him on his way into today's availability, because I tweeted it out as such and then clarified it, um, and that, you know, that he had just gone today to get his second vax, when in fact, uh, it happened a few days ago, so they've got a road trip coming up. Um, take us through the timeline and, and what he's going to have to miss and when he can play again. Jim began that answer in media res, right? Like he was asked specifically about the confusion coming out of training camp. And he started there without making it apparent that he was talking in the past tense, right? So he began the story and and sort of explained exactly how the, you know, comments that he made on the Wednesday before camp opened, that Hamannick would be on the ice on Thursday, came to be when Hamannick was then not on the ice on Thursday. And, you know, I I thought he explained in far more detail than I ever expected to get exactly how agonizing the decision was for Hamannick, right? That Hamannick went to a pharmacy and ultimately couldn't get the shot, like couldn't actually go through with it, right? He decided to do it, but couldn't. And, you know, I, I mean, this is such a loaded thing, right? Like this is such a loaded thing. And there's people who want to judge the player. And, you know, I've been frustrated with the way that the club has messaged this, right? Over the past two months, you know that. But one thing I think is very important to note is it does not matter. Like, this is a bigger issue than hockey. It does not matter how it came to be if you eventually get fully vaccinated you deserve our, our praise and our thanks, right? Like you, you've you've done everything you could could be asked to do to, you know, be a social animal in a society. And so I don't, you know, fundamentally, Jim Benning gave us a lot of detail, but I don't care about the why. That is Hamannick's business. He's indicated that he wants it to be private. I'm not going to get into it. And more than that, I'm not going to judge anything that led up to him getting his second dose. He got a second dose. Kudos from me. Full stop. Where I wish that the organization, and actually I think this is emblematic 
of a wider failing that the organization has sort of in a more general sense. Where I get frustrated is Jim Benning's comments on the matter, the story that he told, right, about Hamannick's hesitancy and about the, the, the situation as it, as it sort of uh, is today. When Hamannick decided not to go into that pharmacy, right, when he was not dosed, the Canucks wouldn't have him. They wouldn't have him, clearly. And and Jim Benning, you know, tra- uh, Patrick Johnson in asking the question specifically referred to the requirement that their team be fully vaccinated. And, um, you know, Jim Benning sort of agreed with it and then proceeded to answer the question. So he effectively confirmed that side of it, too. And yet, while clearly, because by the time Hamannick did report to the club and, and met with us, he had been vaccinated, something he made apparent, right? He made clear. While holding firm to that rule admirably, actually, by the way, right? Something that, that we probably would have been applauding the club for if they'd been public about it for, for eight weeks, right? In the interim. Uh, while holding firm to that rule, they also defended him to the hilt, right? Publicly. They crushed the media for, you know, looking into it too much. They privately defended him to, to media. They campaigned to give him privacy and space. And... Clearly, internally, treated him like a human being working through some issues as opposed to, you know, someone who was like an anti-vaxxer, right? Like uh, someone who was a problem. And in in combination, right, both the carrot and the stick, right? We have our rules. We need you to abide by them. But also, we still like you and want you on the team and we will bend over backwards to defend you and work with you through this and we can, you know, negotiate a bespoke type of leave with the NHL and the NHLPA and, you know, we want you here and we want to accommodate you and they got it done. Right now in this province, right, we're at a 90% vaccination rate or partial vaccination rate, 85% full. You know, in the face of the Delta variant, you need something like 90, 95% because of how transmissible it is to reach what, you know, the immunologists that I sort of read. And and again, I want to be very clear to our listeners because if I'm not some jerk's going to be like, oh, go get a PhD and an epidemiology idiot, stick to hockey. Uh, I'm not an expert, but the, the people I read on this, right, say that 90, 95, 95, 90%. So we're pretty close. We need like 250K more of our vax hesitant British Columbian neighbors to decide to get the shot. And that's the hard 5%, right? We're talking about people for whom it is not just about the vaccine. There are a host of other political, religious, um, you know, health, um, mental health reasons why people who haven't gotten dosed yet aren't dosed at this point, right? Institutions and families and individuals navigating these decisions now have a super high profile example of a club or an organization in this province that kind of did it the right way, right? That held firm to some rules, but also, you know, made sure to treat the person agonizing over the decision, you know, with the appropriate level of humanity. And the outcome is, is that Travis Hamannick has now got his second dose and, and whether or not he'll be at the start on, on the start of this upcoming road trip, he'll join the club at some point, um, you know, on this trip, at least based on the timeline as, as Jim Benning sort of opaquely, but nonetheless tellingly, uh, elucidated during his media availability. 
I wish I wish the club had seen like that story is central to the public interest, right? Like that is like the story that we're still working through from a public health perspective in this province during this pandemic endgame that means a lot and can help a lot of people. And, you know, the club kind of hasn't shared it. And even today in sharing it, sort of shared it as a explanation, like a post hoc explanation, as opposed to something that institutions and individuals can actually learn a lot from. Uh, an example that's been set by one of the highest profile organizations in our province. Uh, to me, that's just, again, like sort of not understanding their role as a community leader in Vancouver and in the wider province, which is just too often felt like the case, particularly during this pandemic from the club. Uh, so, you know, on the one hand, I actually think the now that we have a better sense of the full Hammonick story, I, I actually think the organization deserves a fair bit of credit for the way that they handled it. But I also am sort of disappointed that they didn't understand that what they were handling, how it might fit into the patchwork of, you know, handling and navigating vaccine hesitancy during this pandemic endgame that the wider province is dealing with and sort of sort of try and set an example for everyone, because I, I actually think the example is a pretty compelling one. It's a great perspective. Hadn't thought about it in those terms, but you're right. I mean, it uh, all's well that ends well, other than the fact he had to miss some games. But at the end of the day, there is a bigger story and it's uh, good for him and good for people around him that he's vaccinated. And, and you know, in, in comparison with the public health concerns and the personal concerns, right, the, the missing the games doesn't doesn't really oh, matter. Right. You know, no, absolutely. Like that's small potato stuff. Uh, life is bigger than that. And so um, anyway, I thought that in, in answer was particularly fascinating today. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, meanwhile, we are out of here. Before we let you go, we do want to let you know that Ian Mendez and Down Goes Brown have the Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. As for our show, we thank you for listening to the VanCast, especially our good friends, the VIPs. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get that bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, then just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, you can get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash thevancast. Two more games between now and our next show on Monday. I am looking forward to it, my friend. Likewise, bud. We'll talk hockey at that point, hey? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. This team might give us something else to discuss.